Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight are two of my regular panel. First, we have Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. We are also joined by Julian Rabbit Murdoch. Hello, hello. Long time no see. Haven't seen you since PAX. Uh, that's true, and, you know, since this is the first time we've been back together since PAX, I thought it was only fitting that we invite our pal John Schaefer from Stardock. Hi again. Who's almost a regular by now. It's like he's looking to beat Soren Johnson's record. Yeah, yeah, Soren was like, up to like eight or nine. At that, something like that. Quite the yeah, that's going to be tough to top, but I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> so what I want to talk about tonight is the idea of a fair challenge in strategy games. And I'll admit up front, this is kind of triggered by a piece I wrote recently for GameSpy, uh, just regarding like how people you know, sometimes use save games and how some games even encourage, like, save game abuse. But the but what came out of that was a lot of people talking about, you know, the circumstances under which they'll start, like, save spamming their way through a game. And there's a... I noticed a real divergence of opinion about, like, when games cross the line and kind of deserved to be tricked or cheated or abused. And I, I really just kind of want to talk to you guys about... The idea of what is a what is a fair challenge in a game, and are we kind of lying to ourselves when we say we want a game to be really challenging? Uh, so I, I, I thought I'd you know just just kick it off with, just to start with someone. Uh, I'll just grab your name out of the hat, Troy, and uh, you know a- ask you to, to start with: Do gamers for, for single player games at least do do players really want a game to play fair? I don't want to speak for all gamers. I don't know what gamers in general want. Um, They wanted to play fair, I think, within limits. Um, I think that there's the... When you read, you know, uh, threads complaining about games, there's always complaints with first the AI cheating, how they don't want the AI to cheat, they want the AI to play with the same rules uh, that they do. And, of course, you know, this can't happen for a number of reasons. The AI becomes the perfect min-max utilitarian and you will never win like Unity of Command where it just has, you know, this brilliant insight into all of the rule sets and supply lines and I don't think, and there's no cheating going on there it just happens to know the rules better than you do which makes it a really challenging, tough game one that I love for its toughness and its challenge then you have games like Civilization or Paradox games where there are so many systems going on that an AI that doesn't get an advantage is going to find it very hard to compete against a human who can master all of these systems because there isn't a neural net where all these different relationships can be put together. And we saw this a lot in uh, the first versions of Civilization V where there's this beautiful, wonderful military system that the AI just was completely incapable of handling uh, for a number of reasons. Elegantly designed, beautifully encouraged combined arms and terrain use, and then the AI just threw up its hands and said, what the hell is this? Um, so there's... The game itself, I think, depends, decides whether the AI is even capable of being challenging the single player. Whether players actually want this or not, I think, is heavily dependent on what the player's goal is. Is a player just playing to win? Um, I know people who only play Civilization when they have an advantage, because they just want to explore and conquer things. So it's really not about beating the system or mastering the system. It's about going out and conquering the world. Um, so a lot depends on what the player's goals are. And I think there's, because strategy games are so diverse, the games themselves have very different goals. So they determine whether safe spamming is useful or admirable. 
And there are also different players who have different goals of entertainment, what entertains them. And I think when you have this debate really comes down to what do play, what are players looking for in a game? Are they looking for challenge? Are they looking for experience? Are they just looking for a way to kill time? They just want to see all the stuff. I, I, I want to feel like a badass. I mean, generally, I yeah. want a game... Like, when I finish a game, like, whether it's a game of Civ Five or a game of chess or a game of tribes or whatever genre it is, no when I'm done with that game... Chess. I <laughs> no, but, no, but sometimes, but that's part of the reason why it's very unsatisfying not playing against other people with chess, right? Because yeah. chess is one of those games that I'm never going to beat the AI unless it's cheating in the other direction, right? Unless it's right. deliberately being dumb, I'm never going to beat a computer at chess. Like I, I right. literally don't think that I could beat the TRS eighty chess. Uh, program with like the gloves off. I really don't. And I play a lot of chess. I love chess. Um, so what I want to, what I want to feel out of a game is that I have done something masterful right. and that's very tough to do in a strategy game, particularly if the rules are very transparent, if the rules are very opaque, right? If I'm playing uh, crusader Kings, right? Where, I mean, come on, do any of us really understand all of the things in there that are completely variable versus the things that are completely deterministic? I don't think so. Right. That's a game that has so many systems going on. Um, and I, I think you can say that about a lot of paradox games, um, that, that it's very easy for the game to either make me feel like a badass or cheat to keep up with me. If for some reason I was doing better than the AI was really meant to do and, and have that be very, um, invisible, right? Uh, because there's so many systems at work. The simpler a game becomes, the harder that is, right? Go being the classic example of something where AI still really has just started to catch up to the human level. Um, and and really, if you're if you're a competitive Go player, you still have to be playing with a handicap. Um, and and in those kinds of situations. You, you really do want the game to be fair because otherwise you don't feel like a badass, right? I never feel like a badass winning at chess on, against a computer. It just means I wasn't playing a hard enough level. I think that a lot of it comes down to player expectations, and it depends on the type of game, and, and the game has a, has a large role to play in forming those expectations for a player. So, for example, in a game like chess, you expect it to be fair because both sides have identical starting situations. The and, rules and are the exactly rules are the very same. well understood. Right, it's very transparent. Right, and in other games, for example, uh, historical strategy games, let's say you know Panzer Corps or Unity of Command, even um, it's not supposed to be fair. It's supposed to be about history. It's supposed to be about replaying certain scenarios from history, and most of history wasn't fair and if you're playing a game like Panzer Corps, you know that going into it. You're not expecting the, the Russians and the Germans to be equally matched in every single way. So I think a big part of it is how the game presents itself, uh, catering to whether or not it's, it's letting players know that this is supposed to be fair or not. Yeah, and, and plenty of games have different mechanisms for dealing with sort of the in, inherent unfairness of a scenario, right? I mean, the, the classic way is you play three games, you know, flipping sides, right? I mean, that's the, that you know, most historical setups, whether they're like, you know, a Civil War miniature setup, or even if you're playing something like Memoir 44, right? There, there, are, some, there are plenty of games, particularly war games, that have sort of scenario statistics attached to them that the Germans are going to win this encounter 
83% of the time. And so the challenge is to, you know, play a series of three games and see whether or not somebody does better than the odds. Right. And that, but that, but again, against a human opponent, that feels fair, right? Because you're eventually, you're effectively turning the tables enough that you've established fairness in an inherently unfair encounter. I think even you can you can take it even further than that because there are some games and, and some scenarios in games that are very asymmetric and all about surviving against a, a humongous wave of enemies or going into deep into enemy territory with a small force. And even when you're playing just against the AI, it's it's not a big deal. You don't think, well, you know, this is unfair because again, that's that's what the game is. That's what was advertised. You're not expecting it to be equal or even, um, and then being surprised when the AI is cheating or when something happens that you right. didn't think should happen. It's it's part of the experience. A lot of the historical games. I mean, the it's the way they're even sold. I mean, can you do better than Lee? Uh, idea. So you know, you don't expect necessarily to win the Civil War. You're not going to conquer New York as a Confederate, but you might have a bloody peace, you might establish independence, but you're not going to do amazing, wonderful things. Uh, playing as Yemen in Europa Universalis Three. Now, I'm sure people can hey conquer man. the world as Yemen. Hey man, I was about to say, that you want to feel like a badass, you take over the world from Yemen. There's, there's, a, there's an after-action report on the paradox forms of a guy who conquered the world as the Iroquois. <laughs> Awesome. So, you know, there are people who just... Because Do you think just, he did that without reloading? You're oh, hung no, up on this. You are hung mm-hmm. up on this. Well, no, okay. I don't... No, I, I, no I'm, 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 I'm pretty positive he wouldn't have. He, he couldn't have. I mean, it's... Now, maybe he did, because these are people who, of course, live these systems. People who write these insane after-action reports. Conquer Europe as the Duchy of, 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 of Krakow, which is a one-province, piddly little thing uh, in Poland in EU3. Uh, you know, people who take on that challenge are people who've, you know, mastered the rules and the timing and understand how to, not, not, not how to, how to exploit, I don't want to say cheat, how to exploit uh, the things in the system. And you see this in, you know, a lot of the cranky reviews of Civilization V, people who learned how to exploit the system, then exploited it, and then complained that the game could, could be easily exploited which that's, you know, people are idiots like that. Uh, but so it's, but uh, games do have, you know, difficulty levels within them, these larger games. And there are ways you can set challenges for yourself uh, within them. Um, so uh, where'd this start with? I'm sorry, I'm just exhausted. Uh, classic Troy Goodfellow rant where you can't find no, the beginning when you get to the end. It's, 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 been one of those, it's been one of those weeks and it's only Wednesday. Oh my God, I know this feeling. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... Go ahead. Well, well, no. So, so what I was <laughs> going to say is, there, there are a couple things I wanted to revisit there. Um, you know, you know, the, to, to the point about like feeling like a badass and everything. Yep. Um, I, I kind of feel like, well, I kind of feel like Julian's the problem here. Oh, uh, so come let's on. take a vote oh, and he hears uh, that and every send him day. off the island. Uh, oh. No, but because I just I kind of feel like. You know, I guess this ties in my my other point about like player expectation. Like, what do, what yeah. do we expect from a game when we sit down to play it? And I kind of feel like, on some level, you know, ideally we would have the same kind of we would have similar sort of experiences at least. Uh, you know, playing a strategy game, you know, 
against the computer as we would against a person. Like, play a game against a worthy opponent. What you want is a worthy opponent. But part mm-hmm. of that is an understanding that, like, you're going to lose. And, sure. you know, the other person's, like, trying really hard to win. And I totally, like, I expect that when I sit but, down to, you know, play War yeah, of the but, Ring. Uh, yeah, but, 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 but when... when <laughs> Stop it! No, no, you go first. <laughs> no, Troy, go ahead. I mean, this is a, but this brings up a point that you raised in your column, which I think is the difference between playing against a human and playing against a person. Even playing against a human, uh, this crops up. These many of these games are very, very long, and playing a single-player game of Civilization that takes you know six hours, and I'm there's just no way for me to win it. I mean, why am I going to play? I said, you'll, okay, you'll get I, bored, I, I right. lost. Then you, just, you say, I, I lose and I quit. If I lose and I quit, how is that different from me reloading and playing again? It's not. I mean, it's not. What, and, what and, is the and, philosophical and, difference but, between saying, I, I give up and starting over? That's just reloading from the starting point. I'm glad, from the starting you, went, point. I'm glad you went first because to me, feeling like a badass is not preconditioned on me winning. It really isn't, right? So, um, you know, I play a ton of League of Legends. And my win-loss ratio is probably one to three, if I was honest, right, against human opponents. And that's got a skill-matching system and et cetera. And, and, you know, some of those losses are because my team sucks. But, you know, some of those losses are because I suck. However, that's a game where over the course of any 30 to 40-minute game, there's always a story to be told. And it's not always necessarily about whether or not you won the final victory. It can be about feeling like a badass during one particular encounter and the rest of it is just gravy, right? That, that one moment of feeling like a badass is what keeps you engaged all the way through. And I think about the better games we played, um, you know, comp stomp against in, in men of war assault squad. And I think the same thing is true. Some of my favorite moments playing that game, I don't think we're in games we won. Well, right. you, considering were, we lose the vast majority of games. Well, there was a, right, there was a difference between those thirty and forty minute games, and these single player, day long, six hours, six yes. hour games. Uh, it's, it's hard to feel like a badass. If, yeah, I just conquered the Netherlands. Oh shit! Here comes Russia. Right? <laughs> you, have, you have your little badass moment. The Netherlands. You're always dissing uh, the Netherlands. They're right beside France. So I'm always coming up from Paris. You see, just oh. shut up. And here come the Russians or the Germans. They're just there. They're convenient. <laughs> they're in the middle. <laughs> that that is pretty much. That is pretty pretty much Dutch history. The, there you go. Well, we were on our way to invade these other guys. We might as well pull over and <laughs> pull take, over over like, take over Amsterdam. <laughs> I feel like some weed. Anyone want to drop by? So uh, there we have. So yeah, that's. So there is. I mean, I, I agree with Julian that you can feel like a badass in these short games. Oh, well, great! Let's do another. You know. But it's really hard to do in these longer, longer, in these much longer games, kind of badass moments. But, you know, as you pointed out in your column, you know, Rob, you know, playing through Pride of Nations and saying, well, I'm going to be stuck right goddamn in the middle because the British have this huge head start and I couldn't catch up. Now the Prussians are beating on me. But, but those you, kinds you of games, when you're, but those so, games when, you you're feeling, when you're feeling behind and you don't know what to do, that's just frustrating. Right? Yeah. I don't mind losing... If sure. I feel like I learned something in the process, right? Or if, there is, or if there's I a route. If there's a route to some sort of victory, to some sort, like I, I get to colonize North America first or get something. But, you know, when all the trophies are gone, there's no, there's no prize for participation in Rope Universalis. I think, I think a point that really 
complicates this whole discussion is the fact that not everybody's looking for the same thing from a game. Right. Um, sure. You know, some sure. some people Absolutely. are looking to be a badass. Some people want to play out history exactly as it as it happened, Ooh. and some people just want to play around Welcome and, to the and Civil build War. things. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, there's there's countless other reasons why people play and what they want to get out of their play experience. So trying to narrow it down, I think, is is difficult because you really can't. It's it's everybody plays games for very different reasons and they're very different games. So Well this is actually brings me to one of the reasons I wanted you in particular on the show is that you know, it seems to me that where a lot of problems arise from, where a lot of people are kind of get sort of pissed off at a game, is a lot of times it seems like you can sort of track it to sort of a, you know, that the, they and the they and the designer do not really share the same idea of what of how the game should work in terms of like what do you, you know you know when you sit down to play it what are you playing it for what is this game supposed to provide you and I was you know with with all those different assumptions that people are bringing to games you know. I mean, how does that how does that complicate the job of designing something? Uh, that you don't know how people are going to, you know, the circum the 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 way people people are going to encounter that game. Well, to to answer simply, it's impossible. <laughs> you know, there there is no way to cater to everybody. Um, the the best thing that you can do as a designer is really just go with your instinct and, you know, what what would you want to play if if you were a consumer of this game and trying to put yourself in the shoes of other people playing the game. Um, ultimately, it just comes down to what you enjoy doing. And, and this is something that um, Sid Meier really espouses in that, you know, people ask him why he makes games about trains or, you know, Gettysburg, that sort of thing. And it's because that's the sort of thing he enjoys. And if there's a market for that, then he's fine with that. But if not, he still made a game that he wanted to make. What you're saying is Sid is not interested in the Gettysburg or or, or in trains anymore. <laughs> I don't is know. There... You have to ask him. <laughs> Having not seen a game on those in a while. Anyway. Mm. <laughs> no, not from Sid, but yeah. Well, yes. I mean, honestly, I don't need to play Gettysburg anymore. I, I've, have we not reenacted that particular conflict enough? Why are you? <laughs> the, the, first day, the first day of Gettysburg is pretty great, though. Like... <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I mean, honestly, it like, was the best day. It really was like that. Like pretty much every good war game scenario, like ever, you've got some version of it happening on the first day, and then after that, it's just. I kind I kind of have that map in a couple places in my house. I will admit. I I will say that Gettysburg was totally unfair. Just for the record, it was well. Actually, that's a really interesting point, right? I mean, one of the things that's so interesting about true crazy civil war nuts um is is that they love those sort of i mean they love things like pickett's charge right they love these crazy incredible odd stupidity ridden scenarios um and they want to see if they can break them or if they if, if they play out the right way right and and you know, maybe that's why people are so fascinated with these historical contexts is because quite often they appear so unfair. But I, I kind of feel like I don't even there, even there, you've got interesting case, like an interesting idea of what constitutes fair, right? Like, you know, the second day at Gettysburg, right? Say you're the Confederates and you've got to take like Devil's Den. And we all remember, like, you know, that, that part of the movie where it's not, the, you know, that's where these, the, it's these really like 
interesting rock formation. It's impossible to storm. Uh, so, so that scenario right there is is pretty much a charge of the light brigade type situation, right? Like you've been handed the worst possible objective, uh, you know, against a you know equal or superior force. Like you're pretty much not going to you're not going to take that position. Uh, it's going to be very very hard for you. And people are cool with that. People are cool with like, you know, from the like from the setup of that scenario. Yeah, th- that is inherently unfair. People seem much less cool with like. You know, like when the when the AI is getting uh, little bonuses to sort of you know keep it in the fight, which you know chances are it probably needs. Again, right. going back to that factor yeah. of the AI isn't as it doesn't have the intuitive grasp of these things at, that that a person does. Uh, but but when people start detecting that you know, oh man, the, the AI just seems to be getting you know you know things just seem to be working out better for the AI than they than they are for me. That's crap. You know this game. This game's just screwing the player. That I don't know. That I'm just I, I'm interested in that. Like I see similar sort of objections to uh, higher difficulty levels on Civ, where people where people think the AI's job is to provide a perfectly a a worthy opponent, but without cheating. Um, I, I think you can point to human psychology in a way. I mean, think about you're you're waiting in a line somewhere and somebody cuts in front of you in line, you know, it may not be that big of a deal, but it feels like this humongous offense to you. And I think it's just built into the human mind to think, you know, I want things to be fair. Why? Because they should be fair. That's just the way it should be. And for some people, that's, you know, that that carries over into gaming and the AI playing unfair brings out the same feelings. And it really depends on the type of bonus as well. I mean, if it's what they what they want in advanced difficulty level in, in in civilization, what many of these players want is they want a smarter opponent, but not an opponent that gets bonuses. They want difficulty level to track. Oh, this is an AI that is as smart as I am, or dumber than I am. Not one that has more bonuses or fewer bonuses. And I guess one of the problems is we keep using the term artificial intelligence instead of just computer opponent, which is what it comes down to. Um, because they really aren't intelligent in many of these games. Uh, they get uh, in uh, Europa Universalis, you difficulty level tracked how much gold you have, pretty much. How rich are you, since gold's the number one thing. And that's really all it connects to, more than anything else. In Civilization, it's a whole bunch of other bonuses. In Shogun, I think it's... Um, it's uh, morale bonuses for the uh, AI. I'm, yeah, in, in the field, it's morale bonuses, morale and I'm bonuses. pretty sure it's getting pretty significant uh, breaks on the econom- economic. Yeah, it, it, the t- t- troops are a lot cheaper, especially I think. Um, so yeah, there. So there's because, but we track difficulty level. We think this is a harder opponent. Intuitively, I think it is psych- psych- psycholo- psychological. We think, oh, this is a smarter opponent, but it's not necessarily a smarter opponent. It's an, it's a richer opponent. Do Do you think developers have made that harder for themselves? It It seems to me like I'm always reading extravagant promises about you know, well, in this game, the AI is going to be great, and I just you know, because I kind of feel like uh, among us who play a lot of strategy games, we don't really expect that much from an AI. You know, we, we, we've got a pretty good grasp that, like, an AI is always going to be 
in most cases, uh, except for you know very few like a very few uh, games like Unity of Command, where it has a perfect understanding of like how to play the game. Right, but uh, that's but Unity of Command is it's effectively playing chess, right? The rule set is simple enough that its understanding of the situation yeah. is just going to be superior to most humans, and that's that's the AI. Right, right. It's algorithmic. Yeah, but but I but I see in a, in a lot of cases where where players have a, a real it's almost like this degree of outrage that the AI has to cheat, that the AI isn't providing a yes, worthy opponent. I and I'm, I'm I, I find that weird that at this point, like you know, we've all like chances are most people have been playing strategy games for a while. Like at this point, don't you kind of have a good sense of what AIs are good at and and what what they aren't? Or, yeah. or do developers keep sort of digging themselves a hole by sort of hinting that this time the AI is going to learn and react to what you do? How many times have you heard that? Oh, God. Well, it's not always incorrect. It does react to what you do, but I mean, I'd, I'd that's like its to turn job, the, right? I'd like to turn the tables a little on John, not to put you on the spot. You can just tell me to screw off. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, when you're sitting here facing a game design in front of you, right, certainly as a strategy game designer you have to be thinking about well there's a single player game here but there's also potentially a multiplayer game here i mean and and every given day you have to walk into the office and decide how many you know widgets of resource am i putting towards making the ai that much closer to some you know alan turing test passing you know icon that will never be achieved and how much more do I put into I don't know a lobby system or whatever something that makes the the multiplayer game that much more interesting or accessible or whatever I mean how do you balance those out I mean how do you think about the player base oh yeah I mean uh, everything with game development is a matter of prioritization Uh, you have to decide what what is most important for the game and then kind of steer in that direction um, I, I think at a high level, it it's it, it kind of touches on this whole topic of how fair a game should be. Um, I think ultimately a lot of that depends on whether you're targeting uh, it, the game as at a single player audience or a multiplayer audience. And I think that every single game out there, you can say this was designed primarily for one mode or the other. And even in games like, for example, StarCraft II that have had a ton of time spent on both sides. Ultimately, StarCraft II is a multiplayer game at the end of the day, and and so there were a lot of changes and, and concessions made on the single-player side to to make it the best multiplayer game it could be. Um, in terms of specifically um, balancing AI versus other other features, it's it's a similar it's a similar situation where you have to decide. Okay, what is what is the essence of the game? What is it that's going to really hook players and bring people in? And the thing about AI is that most players really don't need the most powerful AI. They really want to think that it is. And you can get away with a lot of things as long as the AI doesn't appear stupid. And that's the that's the biggest and, and the toughest part about game AI is not making it smart, but making it not stupid. Because as long as you don't see it make mistakes, then it's it's almost like it's not that big of a deal. You might um, you might know in inherently that the AI is receiving bonuses or that sort of thing. But as soon as you see it make a really bad tactical blunder or you know try to construct something that it just can't build, 
then it really frustrates you because not only is the AI, you know, quote unquote cheating, but now it's also, it's, it's still dumb. So it's, it's kind of like a, a loss on both sides. So it's, it's very challenging. Um, obviously most games haven't gotten this right and it's, it's, it's a, it's a challenging issue for the strategy game uh, genre. I think that going forward, one thing that might really help is trying to think more about, again, avoiding the AI looking stupid as opposed to trying to make it literally perfect in every single way because it's just not even possible. So there's a little mini rant for you. <laughs> Which, I mean, doesn't help. And, you know, often AI misses very important things like how to understand naval warfare, for example. Mm -hmm. How to handle yeah. ships when the basics aren't covered. Um, you know, then when the AI wins, it's obviously because of cheating, because it's too stupid to understand boats. <laughs> um, so that sense of fairness is kind of gone. How can this moron that can't sail a trireme beat me? Yeah, and again, I think it comes down to more knowing that the AI is still making these dumb <laughs> moves while it's, while it's cheating and getting these bonuses that really makes people upset if it if it was able to use these bonuses and actually give you a fair fight and, and do it competently, I think a lot of players wouldn't have so much of an issue with it. I, do you think some of it's just transparency? I mean, you know, I mean, I don't have a problem playing, you know, chess against my daughter and giving her three pawns and then losing, right? I don't feel then like I got cheated. I feel like I understood what the handicap was and I chose to play with that handicap. Um, you know, or conversely, you know, if, if I beat her with three pawns, she doesn't feel so much like I was just, you know, being mean to her or anything like that. She understands that there was this trade-off that happened. I mean, do you think if those kinds of quote-unquote cheats on the AI were more uh, sort of granular and transparent, then players might have less of a hard time with them? I think I think it can go either way. I think on, on one sense that that is true, and I think that... And for, for a lot of people, making them completely transparent would help. Um, I, I think in some ways that may actually make it worse for, for other people, though, because, I mean, really gaming is... because they is, think it was fair to start with? Well, that and, and the fact that gaming as a whole is just kind of an illusion. I mean, you're playing... I mean, really, you're, you're clicking a, a piece of plastic and punching plastic buttons on a keyboard, you know, and... It's, it's not real. It's it's a game. It's it's inside your head, and that can be very powerful. And it can also work against you if if you get an inkling of you know this game is doing it doing it wrong or this game is doing something unfairly. Then it kind of breaks the illusion and you, it, it pulls you out of that. So it, for a lot of people, I think actually making it transparent is worse because it, it does take them out of that illusion. And if they just if they don't know what bonuses are happening and the AI doesn't make a dumb move, then they're absolutely happy with the experience that they get from it. So it's, you know, another example of how making games is difficult and the fact that people want different things from their games uh, makes it a huge challenge for developers uh, because you, you could go one way and make some people happy or you can go the opposite way and make other people happy and a lot of times you can't make everyone happy. It, it sort of seems like that idea that people people are sort of happier not knowing uh, how the uh, 
sausage of fun is made. Uh, the the sort of keep, keep, keeping people in the dark about that. That's sort of what leads, though, to that moment of disillusionment and frustration when you see the see the AI screw up. I mean, I, I don't know. Some, sometimes I wonder if you like if you wouldn't be better off like sort of being upfront. You know, like again, this idea of like shared understanding, like you know, you the player, uh, you know, you're sitting down to play this game. You know, here's kind of here's kind of what you're in for. You know, here here's what you should be looking for. Like the same way we have like difficulty settings, sort of explain to you what's gonna what's gonna be going on here. And, and Civ has very good ones where they explicitly tell you, you know, this is like what is it? Prince mode is the last one that's actually like quote unquote fair. Mm-hmm. Like Prince is the pr- Prince is the last one where there's no bonuses either way. Uh, and then after that, the AI it starts telling you like the AI is going to be getting heftier and heftier bonuses, and that's cool. You go in, you go in with both eye, both eyes open, and and I kind of wish there there was a way to sort of get that cleared up just from like what you're looking for from the game. Like when I look at the total look at the Total War series, for instance, uh, and it's gotten a lot better. But I remember when people were just beating the hell out of that on forums uh, from like Rome through Medieval through Empire. Uh, it's that. You know, their real fr- their real frustration was that you know that that was a game that was a game you couldn't lose. Uh, it was it was just it was just too easy. The AI the AI wasn't making enough of it uh, enough of a fight. But these same people, you know, if the if, if the AI ever actually did start beating them, you know, in other games or later in like Napoleon Total War, were also the first people to sort of throw the flag up and say, well, that wasn't supposed to happen either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I well, think, well, I mean, uh, you don't you don't know they're the same people. Well, in some cases, I, in some cases I do. Uh, but that's that's old. That's that's old <laughs> wargamer.com, uh, you know, gossip basically. But no, but no, I don't know that they're the, the, don't know that they're the same people, but I but I do kind of feel like like one of the things I one of the things I I have seen a lot uh among people who play a lot of strategy games is this idea that what they want is to win. But they want to win close. They want to win, like, they want to win a good game, good close game. But they don't want to lose it. Yeah, I think that's, it, it kind of goes back to the fact that the game really exists in a player's head. And if you think about all the stories that stick with us, whether it's complete fiction or the, the most interesting stories from history, they, they're usually something like that. There's something where there's a major challenge and it was just barely overcome. And that's kind of what I think people expect from from games in general. And it's it's difficult because in a in a wide open genre like strategy games, you know, you most of the time the experience isn't that closely guided. So yeah, how do you how do you get to that point? It's <laughs> we're still trying to figure out the answer. I think to uh, to go back to the point of multiplayer, and I and I'm glad you brought that up, Julian, because one of the things that uh, you know, editors have brought it up to brought it up with me uh, as as I sit down and review games, uh, but it also seems to complicate, you know, what your priorities are when you're designing a game. Is that even in games that you would think are primarily multiplayer? Uh, I think it was Stardock, right, who released figures about how many people actually played. Like I think it was Sins of a Solar Empire actually played it in multiplayer online, and the Which numbers was shocking. They were was appalling. shockingly low. And that's a game that I never thought of. I played like one single player match of that ever. <laughs> yeah, it's it, a good it's it's a good single player game. 
it's better well, multiplayer, uh, but it's yeah, a good thing. Yeah, and, and we've heard the stories of, you know, folks from the first-person shooter community who spend all this money building, you know, they spend m- literally millions of dollars on a multiplayer system, and then three weeks after release, you hop onto the Xbox servers, and there's, like, eight people playing it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a crazy disproportionate number, although I imagine if you look at the StarCraft numbers, that's probably not the case. I think I, I think I even think with StarCraft, yeah. you would you would see the same thing. It's just that you know multiplayer and single player are, are different experiences, and some people really like the competitive multiplayer scene, and a lot of people just don't. And they're able to have enough fun with with the game as it is. It's it's good enough game on the whole, even if it's not specifically geared towards single player. Um, but yeah, I think I think you'll see that with with every game. I would be surprised if more than. Thirty percent of StarCraft two players played it regularly multiplayer. I mean, because the the inter- no matter how much you know we people out in the blogo media podcastosphere like to talk about you know all these multiplayer games. I mean, most people on the internet, most gamers aren't talking on the internet. Most StarCraft mm-hmm. players aren't talking on the internet. They're playing it at home. They maybe they they maybe they even maybe they know there's a huge multiplayer professional gaming league about it. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just remember StarCraft when they were kids and they like it and they like playing Zerg or Protoss and it's a way to unwind. Um, and I bet the Battle.net numbers would be probably 70% people playing single-player games. Yeah. I think Diablo I, is going to be the same. I think that actually speaks as to why you actually see companies still focusing that much attention on multiplayer because the multiplayer segment tends to be a lot more vocal, a lot more dedicated. And it's the long long tail. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when when you're talking about it. Because like you you (laughs) said, they're they're off the Xbox or off the Xbox No, 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 but if you get it right. But if you get it right. Well, if you you get it right, people hate you, right? Right. Right. Well, that's not getting it right. That's that's lightning in a bottle. I mean, there are lots of great multiplayer experiences. I mean, Sins of a Solar Empire, great multiplayer experience. You can't say they got it wrong. But it's right. just... Uh, well, that's even, not just getting it right. It's, you know, it's getting lucky. Even for a game like that, though, the the fact that it has multiplayer and the multiplayer uh, community wasn't, you know, StarCraft two level, but it was enough that it got word of mouth for the game. It got people yeah. excited about it, got people talking about it, got people playing it that never right. would have otherwise. The alpha, con- the alpha consumers got hooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's really what you what you need as a developer. It's it's you know, you need those evangelists going out there and talking about your game. Um yeah. even if somebody even if nobody's playing it a year from now, you might double your sales just because people are talking about it. But it it just you know, talking about like the the multiplayer single player dichotomy. You know, I I think it was years ago people were t- people were saying got yeah, some big name um, was it Hecker? Was saying that like single player games were an aberration. Uh, if you look at like the history of games and everything, we 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 want yeah. to play them against each other. You know, like everything about gaming says, play this against a person, play this against an opponent, play it with play it with others. And we were kind of in this weird place where technology kind of forced us to play by ourselves uh, against against computer opponents or. Uh, you know, a slightly different example would be like you know have the computer tell us stories. But ultimately, this was kind of a weird, 
this is kind of a weird detour for the history of games. And ultimately, we'd have to return to playing with each other. And when I consider, like, when I see people talking about, like, what they want from a challenge, what, like, they want a fair game, they want a better game, what, what's, what's striking to me is, you know, even in the case of genres that should be able to say, well, screw it, we're barely going to bother with an AI because really this is, you know, our matchmaking is so easy, it should be so easy to, you know, get online, you know, find, a, find an opponent, and you'll have a great time. And that day never seems to arrive, it never seems close to arriving. And I, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't have a solution for it. But it, but it, but it does seem. But it does seem to me, like when we talk about what people what people want out of games, uh, it, it seems that multiplayer games, you know, actually contain a lot of that. But people kind of don't want to embrace it. Well, because people suck. I mean, that's why, right? I mean, as oh. much as we talk about no, because as much. I mean, I I say that to be slightly funny, but I also mean it, right? <laughs> if I. You know, we we talk about wanting games to be fair, right? And of course, the ultimate way for a game to be fair is for you and I to play the game against each other. Because if we both know the game, we have the exact same game, neither one of us is actually cheating. It's pretty difficult to say that game is not fair. Whatever that game is, whether it's badminton or chess or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, advanced squad leader, right? Or, or Fisher random chess, right? I mean, it really doesn't matter. So... But the reason people don't want to do that is because the current matchmaking systems in most games imply that you're going to jump into some cesspool of people that are either odious or vastly better than you are. And neither one of those makes for a particularly fun experience. And, and I mean, I think that's unfortunately the reality of most multiplayer games. Now, I'll back that down by saying that I think um, StarCraft II went a long way in their ladder system towards alleviating that because that actually seemed to match people based on skill level pretty darn well. But it can't be reproduced because they've got hundreds of thousands of people to sort of choose from when you're matchmaking, whereas... Yeah, if you're playing Sins of a Solar Empire and you're just trying to pick up some pickup game, you're just browsing around a lobby, right? You have no... There's no real matching going on there, right? A good skill matching system requires fair, to get back to the topic of the day... Um, a fair skill matching system requires a large pool of people of whom somebody on the other side is as dumb as I am. And, you know, if there are only eight people playing the game and they're all super diehard, uh, I'm not going to get a fair match. I'm going to play against somebody who's just that much better than I am. That only really works, though. I mean, great. That's wonderful. And it's evangelical. and It's a great idea. But so many of the games that a lot of strategy gamers, especially that I really love, are terrible multiplayer experiences. I, mean, I know people like people play Civilization multiplayer, and God bless them. But I don't have the patience for that. Even Dominion, which is a great game, we couldn't keep a game of Dominion 3 going for more than probably a couple of months. Yeah. And we never got close to finishing it. I mean, to imagine, you know, what the, the answer to this is, you know, better multiplayer matching is, you know, well, no, the answer to that is to have a better single-player experience. Well, or, um, also, or also make multiplayer games that don't take three months to play. Yeah, I mean, there we go. No, but, 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 you know, but that's, then you make it small, but then it's, then it's not Civilization. Then it's not Dominions. Make, uh, play Civilization on an island, and it's you guys with clubs, and you're beating on each other, and great, it's over in 30 minutes, but it's not Civilization. 
No, I, I, I get that. I get that. And and this is why, you know, when I have re- regular, you know, collections of people in my house, there's always like one game that we're always like, well, we'll never play this because you can't get eight nerds to sit in a room for yep. eight hours, right? Like diplomacy or something like that, right? There are countless great if you games. Can't get, that- if you can get eight nerds at, at RabbitCon to play diplomacy, well, yeah, actually, because everyone likes each other. You can't, you can't play diplomacy at RabbitCon. No, 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 because people will get hurt. That's the problem. Yeah, there will be serious. Brain you. you just yeah, have to be... play the the PC game version. That's that, that's a good go. substitute. Oh god, it's not a good substitute. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I'm I'm gonna jump in there. I think that I'm I'm kind of with Troy there. I think that there are some experiences that you can only get feasibly in single player, and maybe you know, I, if you I had agree. if you had I an agree. army of slaves doing your bidding and you could have them you know waiting you learn how to play bulgaria yes (laughs) i'm I'm actually half convinced that paradox the studio exists just so these like lunatics can find other people who will play like eu3 with each other like day in day out constantly all the hate mail you're gonna get Chris King is going to send a nuclear weapon into Boston. No, I, no, think, just, Chris, every, I think Chris agrees with him. Every, every time I talk to these dudes, they're like, oh, we were just having the greatest game, Crusader Kings 2. And it's like, how long has it been going on? Oh, weeks. <laughs> well, you, you, you don't want to try that sometime? I do, but the problem I, is, is that I have a short attention span. I have other things to do yeah, with and you're not Yeah, and you're not being paid to develop like the next Paradox game. <laughs> True, but but no, I I think there there's something to that. Like you know, I I love those those big media experiences. I love I shit. I I love the grand campaign in Gary Grigsby's War in the East because I mean, damn, it's like the entire Eastern Front. Like it's all there for you to command. That's awesome. That's great. But the problem is the moment you do that, I think you've got a real problem of how you're going to keep that interesting for your for, for the player. Paradox does it in an interesting way, and I think it's actually a pretty clever way, where you don't have real endgame conditions. And I know there's a way you can you can criticize that too, and you and we we both we've we've gone that route too, Troy, yeah. where it's like it, it kind of lacks that sort of exciting endgame. Just sort of, the prestige ranking isn't the greatest carrot to keep you running onward, but at the same time, it does make it viable to sort of push on through a game mm-hmm. where you're not starting from a really strong position. Uh, where you'll find other ways to succeed, even though you're not going to like rule the world. That's great. Yeah. But the problem is when you have a when you have a game that's going to take like you know weeks and weeks or months and months to to play through. At that point, you know, it's it just there. There's so many things that seems to distort, and one of them is this idea of challenge, where it's like if you actually start pushing back against the player like really hard when the player starts to make real gains in a game like that. And if the AI does the smart thing and says, you know, this guy's serious, we've got to take him out. What you've got is a game that's basically taking three months of your hard work and taking a flamethrower to it. And that's going to piss people off. But at the same time, though, the alternative is to create an experience that I think is, is a little hollow. And I think this was the problem of, like, Total War from, again, like, Rome through Empire, where it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, T-ball, strategic T-ball. Where it's like, oh wow, good for you! You you really conquered Europe, didn't you? Boy, you, you beat me, son. Uh, you're too strong, and and that's no good either. That should be the name of this episode: Strategic T-ball. God, Strategic T-ball. Yeah, so it shall be. You're gonna be strategic a, T-bagging. Yeah. You're gonna be a great oh. father. <laughs> oh, mocking well. your son as he. 
learns how to ride his bike. Wow, you rode that so well, didn't you? In your sarcastic voice. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horrifying vision. Now it's starting to get dark. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm, I'm just a prophet here, that's all. <laughs> just the oracle. Oracle of or- the Oracles do not turn out well in his- history. Oracle of strat gaming. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think I think your point, Rob, about um, you know what do players expect, kind of goes back to the, to the topic at large regarding fairness and what player expectations are. I think that really players, at least most of them, don't really even want the game to be fair because if the game was fair, then all of the computer opponents in the game would gang up on you when you get too strong, um, and because you're the human and you're the hero in the story, you're going to be the strong one. People don't want that. People, and it's just not fun. And I can, I, you know, I can definitely see why that opinion is held because it, it really isn't fun to have, you know, to be succeeding and then having four or five other players decide that you, you've gotten too strong. So it's time for you to take you down a notch. I mean, but, think about a game like Risk, you know, the same thing can happen there. And that's definitely not fun either. Actually, I'm really glad you brought that up because that that's something I've been thinking about a lot. It actually came up last week when we were talking about the latest uh, Total War expansion, where, again, you know, it, it gets even more complicated when you begin layering the idea in that somehow this game is... You know, it, it's like a game, but the factions are supposed to pretend like it's history or something. So, you like, I like the way Civilization does it. Where toward the late game, if you're like, "Hey, buddy, want to send you know send me the secrets of building a game-winning spaceship," and the other AI faction will be like, "Screw you! No, I'm not going." You know, they'll actually tell you, "We're going." No, no, thanks. We'd like to win the game. <laughs> That's really cool. Where, where you, where I think you kind of games sort of tread onto this minefield, where they sort of pretend like everyone's going to pretend like act like a. They're going to play the part of a rational actor as if they're not playing a game, and I and I see games stumble at that time and again. I mean, this is you know one of the issues with design in general. We want the the game to play by the same rules as the player does, but for the game to game of computer opponents to not know that it's a game, they have to follow the same rules, have all the but, same but objectives, but not understand that it's a game. So, but, but I mean that's. But that's what, what what are the game? What is how is the game designed? What's the game designed to be? Is it designed to be a game like chess? Is it designed to be an immersive historical experience like the Paradox titles or like the Total War games? I mean, the player might want to win, but the player also wants to have theater, right? The player wants to have a story. People putting yeah. on a little, they would put on putting on people putting on the Mikado for them, you know, bowing and scraping <laughs> uh, sure to the they emperor. I actually want the actual Mikado, but... <laughs> Everybody wants the actual Mikado. It's a damn, damn good play. No one's going to be dissing Gil- Gilbert and Sullivan on my podcast. Uh, <laughs> but it's... it's that's, they, they want to have this Japanese theater in Shogun 2 where everyone's, you know, behaving like proper daimyos and doing things that are in their logical interest. That means allying with you, so they would be a strong secondary person. Well, that's great, but they also want to win the game. So, as you know, there's players that want both bandwagoning and balancing. I'm going to reach back to my international relations PhD background. How, you know, <laughs> that there's there's assumption of balance of power, that, you know, there's uh, p- people will always balance against the strongest power. That's how you I, get these really close matches, right? 
But in history, there's also bandwagoning, where people will sign up with the strongest power. Hey, Germany, I'm I'm Italy. I'm going to help you out right. here. I'm more than know? happy to be number two to your number. Yeah, one. I'm more than yeah, right. I'm more than happy to to to, to 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 join in on your fight. I don't have to balance against you because sometimes people do have similar interests. But but know? I think this so this gets players back want to, you know kind of both of that. I th- I think this gets back to the Julian Murdoch badass hypothesis or really if we want to give credit where credit's due this is sort of raf coster's theory of fun for game design right which is it depends what you think i mean and i guess john you were making this point too it depends what you think the player wants out of the game right if you're talking about the actual game mechanics process then there really does have to be this sense of being challenged mastering that challenge and then moving on to something new that's challenging and then mastering that, right? That sense of mastery or that sense of being the badass, right, is, I I think, pretty fundamental to most game experiences. The problem we run into with what we talk about on this show is that we add this layer of history and we add this layer of story, right, where... Like I said before, there are plenty of games that I play where I haven't won necessarily. And we and you know, you look at the paradox games where there's not necessarily even a clear victory condition, right? There's just sort of a well, I'm done with the game condition and how well did I do? Um, that that kind of exacerbates that. That that makes that sense of progression challenge mastery, progression challenge mastery. It sort of falls apart. You're no longer playing Portal and just getting better at solving a puzzle as you go. You're actually you're playing for the story and for the unfolding of history. And I, I maybe there's just this inextricable balance there. As soon as you add in the real world, as soon as the game is not abstract, right? As soon as we're not playing, uh, you know, Frozen Synapse. Yeah, and I think that's part of the beauty of what gaming and strategy game in particular provides is that it can strike that balance and lie in between those two extremes of just pure abstract gameplay fun and telling a story, being part of history, being part of this experience that is more than just uh, systems thrown together. Um, You know, will there ever be a perfect point in between them that makes everybody happy? No, of course not. But the fact that it's close enough to the middle is, I think, the reason why strategy gaming and historical strategy gaming is as popular as it is, because nothing else really offers that. Yeah, I mean, it's a balance, which which means you're always going to be pissing off half your audience. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky, only half. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I do still kind of feel like... I think it would be nice if there were a way... If there were a way to express your expectations up front, you know, but like, you know, just from a de- just from a design perspective, like, so here's what this game, you know, kind of really is about. Like every designer board game notes. has designer That's... notes. Yeah, every board game has designer notes. Uh, usually those are a little bit of background, um, you know, but sometimes they actually like give you insight into how like what is this game really doing? What is it really trying to show me? Uh, whereas that's really not a tradition at all in uh, in PC gaming. It hasn't been for a while. It used to be. Used to be, yeah. But it's not for a, hasn't been for a while. Right, and, and I think that is unfortunate because I, I do think a lot of these... I, I do feel like it would simplify a lot of problems if you could just say, like, really up front, like, you know, like, just something, as, just something as basic as, are the AI factions going to pretend like this is the real world and, like, we're strong allies and what's good for me might actually be good for them? Or are they going to do that risk thing where you're just too strong, you're about to win the game, and here comes the backstab. And either one is fair, 
but what kind of what what I think sucks the most as a player is is that moment where the game seems to kind of be changing the rules on you halfway through, where it's like, well, now you're close to you know magic victory conditions, so everything that's worked before is going to stop making sense and it's going to get really arbitrary and gamey. I I don't I don't think that would actually solve much just because I think if you stayed up front, you know, this this AI is going to play it perfectly historical, then people are going to read that and immediately go complain and say, "No, it should it should try to win." And then if you try to make an AI that only wants to win, then you'll get a bunch of people that come forward and say, "No, it should it should be doing these other things. It should be trying to play things out as they would have been. It should be playing like a real human would instead of just trying to win." And you know, no matter what, you end up back in the same place, which is some people are happy and some people aren't. I think that's just the reality, and there's really no way to avoid that. So no designer notes in your next game? <laughs> oh, I think designer notes are great. It's just that I don't think they're... I think they're informative and entertaining to read, but I'm not sure they will explain to the majority of players okay this is what the game is this is these are what your expectations should be i think players are just are going to form their own expectations from the game based on what they think it should be and and when they start playing what they want it to be and you know because games are an interactive medium i think that's perfectly fine and there's nothing wrong with that um but it i think it is what it is so we're winding down here, but there was one last thing I wanted to bring up with you guys, um, and that's how this topic relates to scenario design. You know, a lot of what our conversation is centered on is, like, RTSs, big open-ended strategy games. But where does this leave, like, the smaller-scale war game, the Panzer Corps? Um, you know, how do you go about creating a satisfying challenge for something that's not, you know, a game that isn't about which of 72 different countries is going to have the most prestige? Well, it's tough. Well, from, Go ahead, Julian. I, I was going to say, for me, you know, I think about scenario design and I inevitably come back to Advanced Squad Leader, right, or something like that, um, which, again, multiplayer. But I still think that it comes down to the same thing, which is they become, to me, puzzles to crack, right? And that's the secret of a great scenario design is that it has enough freedom in it that if you understand the rules and you, if you understand your assets, um, it becomes a really satisfying intellectual challenge to crack that puzzle, to crack that scenario. Um, and, it, and it doesn't just become yet another game of skill against another StarCraft opponent on a map I played 300 times. That's a different kind of challenge. Um, but the, the puzzle-solving aspect of a really well-designed scenario, I think it, it, it triggers a very different part of my pleasure center. Right? It's definitely a different feeling and a different sense of accomplishment um, when I feel like I've mastered, you know, at least a take on a, a really well-designed scenario, um, you know, a really badly designed scenario is obvious the minute you fire it up and then it's just rote. Um, and there are plenty of strategy games that feature plenty of scenarios where you're like, oh, okay, I put the archers on the hill and blah, 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 blah. And you can just see it the second the map loads. Um, really well-designed scenarios defy that. John, I wanted to ask you about this to, in particular because, you know, as I understand it, like, you really dug the Panzer General series. I did in, until I played Unity of Command. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh, shit. <laughs> I really like that game. I think, I think it takes a lot of what made Panzer General fun and refines it down and focuses on just what was fun. 
Um, you know, obviously it's not going to translate over for everybody who loved Panzer General, um, especially the uh, details and having every single tank and every single uh, model of aircraft for every faction. But it really distills what was important about warfare in that in that time and and yeah. Anyways, I'm I'm a big fan of that game. Um, it's kind of usurped uh, Panzer General in the uh, in the light wargaming category for me. Well, but but both games I think are, are relevant to the question where you know they they both feature kind of puzzly scenarios and 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 so does Panzer Corps. But you know, as much as I enjoyed Panzer Corps, for instance, you know, lately when I when I think on it more, like a lot of those scenarios kind of you know just piss me off, uh, <laughs> and, and yet. Uh, and yet it doesn't. And yet it doesn't quite do that for Unity of Command. It's been too long since I've been since I played Panzer General. But I'm just wondering, like, I mean, do you think there's some sort of like qualitative difference between the way that Unity of Command is making itself challenging and what a Panzer General type game is doing? I th- I think it's probably the focus on different mechanics. I think the fact that Unity of Command is simpler in a lot of ways and focuses more on a few basic very important concepts like supply and uh, using limited resources for example you have a a handful of armor you have a couple airstrikes per turn and and that's it and you have to decide what you're what you're going to commit to and i think in panzer general it's much more open it's much more about okay what is this broad situation and um, just trying to, to throw things against the wall, whereas with Unit Command, I think it's a little bit easier to see what's going on. And for that reason, it makes it easier for the AI, and it makes it easier to make a challenging AI. So I think for the, the challenges are definitely different between the two, and I think in Panzer General, it's more about uprooting an entrenched enemy where even if none of their units move the entire scenario, it's still going to be hard to, you know, knock out that infantry with eight entrenchment with an anti-tank gun on its flank and artillery behind it and an anti-aircraft gun behind that um, just because, you know, the game mechanics are set up such that it's just hard to take. There's no easy solution. Whereas in unit command, I think it's much more clear when you can say, okay, I want to punch through here. I have two armor and they're just going to decimate these two units. The question is whether I can get to my objective in time and 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 do what I need to do, and the AI serves much more of a as a challenge and a barrier to your objectives in in the game simply because it's simpler and because the mechanics are are clearer. So I think there is a difference between the two, um, where um, the the clarity in you of command puts more onus on how the AI responds to your actions, whereas in Panzer General it's more about Okay, this is these are the what the mechanics are. Things are kind of set where they are now. Try to try to unravel the layers of the puzzle, and uh, the AI is you know going to move some units around, but you don't really have to worry too much about it. Troy, uh, you have thoughts on on satisfying yeah, scenario design? Pretty much everything that that John said was what I was, was going to say. You know, scenario design <laughs> is the difference is it comes down to why I didn't like. Panzer Corps, it became too puzzly. Yes, I mean, Julian's right. To some extent, every scenario that has a turn limit or a time limit or objectives you have to capture has a puzzly side to it. But the difference between a puzzle in a game is single solution versus multiple solutions. And, 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 and I would actually say that, that one of the differences is that Unity of Command 
feels, I mean, I know it's really not because I know there's randomness going on under the surface in Panzer Corps. Um, it, it feels like I occasionally get lucky and, and consequently I'll be in some, you know, I'll, I'll look at a map and you command and I'll say, Oh, I understand. I need to press this rail line and take over this bridge or whatever, you know, whatever the scenario is, I can look at it and I can say, I see a core strategy that I think is going to work. And I feel very much like I have to react. And honestly, with Panzer Corps, a lot of the times you look at those maps and they're just sort of like, oh, I need to put the three mountain guys over here and I need to get these. I mean, it's just sort of yeah. like a you have one aha moment and then it's rote. Yeah, and I think that's what good scenario design is. And with these six with these campaign type games, these campaign type scenario, these scenario based campaigns, you carry units over from one to the next scenario and carry experience over from one to the next. You can buy new units and buy reinforcements or whatever. I think the Unity of Command does that better by giving you so many more choices in how you want to solve the puzzle um, and how you want to crack the nut. Whereas I think Panzer Corps, you know, it gets to a point where you, if you don't have a number of experienced units because you used them stupidly in like scenario three, you're kind of hosed. Uh, and I think that's kind of that's and you call it I call it a, a difficulty problem if you like it is a problem of the game's too difficult. Uh, I think it's a, it must be discussed on the podcast and that show. It's a game of the problem is all the scenarios are designed is pretty much the same. It's that they're all really heavy sieges, and they get the heavier sieges the further along you go. And as John said, you know often the AI is happy to just sit there because it can. Because uh, you have to go after it. It doesn't have to come after you. Unity of command, you know, there really is, maybe it's illusion. Maybe there is actually a really strong positive element to unity of command. I'm sure there are very optimal solutions to all of the scenarios. And But there is a reaction, and there is a reaction you have to react to. And it feels like even if things get harder... It's so much more fluid. It's so yeah, much if, more fluid. Even if things get harder all the way down, and you made some stupid choices in spending your experience... You can't say that was a really bad choice because you were reacting to circumstances. And I yeah, think I that's think, kind of the difference there. I think that's I think that's part of the whole the whole storytelling thing we talk about so much with strategy games, these situations we get into that, you know, it may it may not have ended well, but it was a good decision at the time. We get into this position both in life and in strategy games, where because things end well, it would had to be a good decision. Because things ended poorly, it had to be a bad decision. That's not always the case. I think that's what Unity of Command has really is one of its little genius insights. Is you can make the smartest decision in the world and still have it blow up in your face, because the AI has just so many more options, so many better decisions that your a wise decision isn't always going to bail you out. And there's a lot more. There's a lot of luck involved uh, in you know the way that it, the odds even out. But yeah, I I could go on another rant for what makes Unity of Command special. John already did that. <laughs> uh, that is basically our official war game of this year, right? Yeah, it was like recently. A, that, that, that is that is the that is so far. I mean, it came out in 2011, but it is yeah, it is like the game. It is it is the new rise of nations. Yeah, yes. pretty much. Yes, but, but <laughs> I, I do think you know what I think kills Panzer. Well, not kills. Like I still enjoy the game. I still like. I still I still can have fun with it. But I think what hurts Panzer Corps more than anything is that. It does have these really puzzly, puzzly scenarios, and it, it does feel like there's only one way through. But then it layers in fog of war, and so a lot of the game, like your first playthrough on a map, is just sending units forward to get 
you know, their ass is kicked in an ambush, so you know where everybody is. Uh, because so much of the game is just, you know, what, what I can't stand about Panzer Corps, it's like, oh, hurry, you've only got you've only got 12 turns to do this. You gotta go, move your units, move them. But if you move them past where you can see, if there's another enemy unit there, the punishment for that is so severe, like your unit's just yeah. going to get, like, destroyed. Oh, not not if. You mean when? Yeah. <laughs> because there will be somebody exactly where you send your unit. Inevitably. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. think this, this um, it actually kind of speaks to um, a couple of the articles that I wrote on, uh, on my site where, in a lot of ways, unit of command is more limiting than, than Panzer Corps in, in terms of the types of units and what you can do with those units, um, you know, like how aircraft work. And, but, but in a very um, good way. Right, exactly. The, the, the thing that's so great about unit of command is that it really distills down to what's important. And then when you only have what's important, then the decisions that you have available are all meaningful. Whereas when everything's just kind of this big, you know, mess, and you have just, you know, you can't really tell what's going on. There's just all sorts of different units with different stats and different things that they can do and different movement rates. It's just kind of like, well, I guess I'll just move my army forward in a big mass and we'll see what happens. Um, whereas when things are a lot cleaner, you can you can see the situation better. You can... You can see what options are available to you, and you can decide between them. You know, the, the last point I'd make, too, is that while there there are puzzly elements to Unity of Command... Wow, I love how this show, like, sort of morphed into a Unity of Command praise episode. That's that's fantastic. It's um, uh, it's morphed a couple times already. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a risk. But, but I think, you know, but I guess to somehow bring it back in the vicinity of our topic... Um, <laughs> You know, what I see happening in Unity of Command is that if you lose a scenario, chances are it's because you screwed up and the AI took advantage of it. Now, the AI might only know one trick, but the game's sort of structured around that trick. The, the game is entirely sort of structured around supply and uh, the way supply sort of tail, you know, trails off as, as you uh, move away from, like, rail lines and such. And, it, and un what Unity of Command is doing is... It's it's so different from what you find in Panzer Corps and other sort of like um, really rote scenario uh, design games where it's like if you don't make the right moves in the right order, you're never going to get the best victory. You're never going to succeed. In Unity of Command, you know your biggest threat isn't not figuring out the magic trick to the scenario. Your biggest threat is thinking you figured out like you thinking you figured out the trick, thinking you've got a really bright idea, and not realizing that you've left a lane for the AI to cut off an entire wing of your army, which has happened so many times. But that feels so different, where, like, half your, you know, your spearhead is now suddenly without supply, and you have no way of restoring the supply line. And you're just screwed. And that's awesome. Yep. And that's really rare in most games of that type. Yeah, and I, I think it's, again, it goes back to the, the reason why that's even possible is because... Um, the team when they made that game decided, okay, these are the these are the small handful of things that we want to matter in this game. These are the mechanics that we're going to use to do it, and everything else. You know, it would it would be nice to you know model the differences between different types of German armor and that sort of thing, but that's not really something that's going to make the game more interesting or more fun to play or more strategic. It's just going to kind of dilute the waters and make it harder to make those decisions and end up in those interesting positions because 
everything's just so, I guess, in a way, analog that you can't, you know, you can't end up in in that kind of position. You're just pushing units around, and you don't have these drawbacks and these penalties that can that can pop up. All right, so I think that about wraps up the topic. Um, <laughs> Strategic T-ball. Strategic T-ball. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, it challenges such a, you know, challenges such a slippery concept when you're talking about strategy games in general, I guess. It it's really is. And inevitable I'm, sure, I'm sure it'll come up again. Yeah, I mean, we, we already sort of touched on the uh, the AI issue, and, and we that is one of our most requested topics, so eventually we have to have that conversation as well. But, um, no, but anyway, thank you for the great conversation, and uh, John, you know, if you keep responding to my last minute uh, holy shit, we need to throw throw a topic together emails. Uh, you're going to find yourself regular. You're doomed. <laughs> Uh-oh. My we, we don't pay nearly as much as Stardock does. <sighs> yeah, well, it's, it's probably worse. My girlfriend's leering at me over here like, what are you doing? Come on, get going. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't leer at you. Nobody leers at you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> and things have taken a turn for the weird. So, as John's girlfriend leers at him from across the room, uh, we will we will leave off the leave off the topic of challenge and strategy game design, and uh, something you know for topics over the next couple of weeks. Uh, this topic has made me realize that what I really want to do sometime soon is maybe an ogre show. Oh mm. yes, sign you me up. Because we didn't we didn't give asymmetry its due tonight. Sign me up. You know I'm all yeah. about it. Beautiful. And, of course, my thanks to Michael Hermes for producing this episode and putting up with our increasingly batshit schedule. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. Say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, guys. Goodnight, all.